This is Prime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jackie. Today we want to take you to the greater Manchester area in England. This is an episode that's going to have a lot of twists and turns involving drugs, feuds, and senseless murders of two police officers. And maybe a case you may not have heard of, this is the story of the one-eyed serial killer, Dale Cregan. Dale Cregan was born June 6, 1983 in Greater Manchester to Paul and Anita Cregan. He was their middle child. He grew up with an older brother and a younger sister. And soon after his sister was born, his father abandoned the family and started living with another woman. Dale grew up without a father and he hated him for that. So this hatred fueled a very aggressive child. While he was in high school, Dale started selling drugs to make extra money. Soon he started dealing marijuana. Dale was a very aggressive kid, which resulted in many street fights and other fights at school and outside of school. He did not attend college, and right away he got into the drug trade instead, because it meant easy money. Dale developed the fetish with knives. As soon as he entered adulthood, he started developing an interest in large guns. At some point, he bought guns with his drug money, and that started his collection of illegal weapons. As Dale Cregan went deeper into the drug trade, he started making quite a lot of money. By the time he was 22, he started selling cocaine, and he made close to 20,000 pounds a week, which would equal about 27,000 US dollars. So he was making about 70. to $7,100, depending on when you look at the increase and fluctuation of Mm -hmm. money. So he was making a lot of money. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. A week, not even a a month, uh, a week. A week. Because of that money, that afforded him a very lavish life, which meant holidays, which if anyone knows anyone from Europe, they call vacations holidays. And he would go to exotic destinations, he booked the highest end suites at the highest end hotels, and he visited places like Amsterdam, and that place is a very infamous for not only their marijuana usage, but they also have an infamous underground weapon market. And one of those trips, he got his left eye carved out, and we'll go into that a little bit later. Oh my god. Eventually, he started to settle down romantically, and he met a woman, which I don't think it's important to mention her name. If you're super interested, you definitely can look that up. But Dale became a father at age 24. This woman, he loved so much, and he loved his son so much. So that's also important for later on in the story. Dale also made friends with very infamous criminals, and with that comes controversy. Dale had a particularly close relationship with Leon Atkinson, whose family was known to have a feud with the Short family, who was highly feared and they were also infamous criminals in that area. Because Dale's connection and loyalty with the Atkinson family, he also had issues with the Short family. The feud, according to different sources I found, started in 2001. Leon hit David Short in the face because he was looking at him funny. In an act of retaliation, one of the members of the Short family decided to shoot Francis Atkinson, which is Leon's father, in the knee during September 2003, and those who were in the pub reported that Francis's knee flew across the pub. Ew. <laughs> that is disgusting. Shortly after this, David Short was then run off the road one night while out on his bike. He was then pulled off his bike and his throat was slit. Wow. David managed to survive this attack, and although he had no evidence, he accused Dale of being the culprit. After this attack, the feud began to simmer, and it was believed to be over. The reason for this was because in 2008, Leon and David Short had bumped into each other in a mutual place and shook hands. Leon then reported that the pair had spoken of how there was 
no use for fighting anymore. Well, four years later, the feud between the family was quiet. However, in 2012, Teresa Atkinson, which is Leanne's mother, was in a pub and she was approached by a member of the Short family. It is unknown in which order these events happened, but according to many sources on the coverage of this, that night, Teresa threw a glass bottle at Raymond Young, a member of the Short family. Raymond was also reported having slapped Teresa. Those in the pub that night reported that Teresa had finished the argument by stating, going to get my boys, you're all dead. And Teresa was like the main person in that family. She controlled everything. There was reports that I found that she was a loan shark as well. So oh. she was like the woman you don't mess with. Yeah. Phone records from that night found that Teresa had rang Leon after the incident happened. Then she telephoned another one of her sons and early the next morning Leon had rung his mother back before hanging up the phone and they also telephoned Dale. Less than two weeks later, on May 25th, 2012, at the Cotton Tree Pub in Doylston, Mark Short was shot and killed. During the shootout, Dale had aimed to kill three other men, but they managed to escape and Mark died on the spot. Now, I couldn't find if David was the original target, but from a lot of other articles covering this, I think that he was. And he was not hurt or murdered during this shootout because he was actually using the bathroom at the time. And then he heard, obviously, there was something going on. He didn't come out of the bathroom. At the time, Dale was assisted by five other gang members and all ended up being charged in connection to Mark Short's murder and attempted murders of the three others that were harmed in the pub that night. According to later interviews with Dale, he claims the reason he wanted to do this is because David Short privately warned him that he was going to rape Dale's four-year-old son and then kill him afterwards by setting him on fire as revenge oh my god yeah and obviously even though dale is a gangbanger and he's supposed to be scary his son meant everything to him so this engulfed him with rage and he constructed a very delicate plan to kill david so fast forward according to the guardian after mark's funeral david visited his son's grave every day. It was a ritual noticed by Dale, and he enlisted his friend Anthony Wilkinson to help finish the job that he botched two months earlier. The day that Dale Cregan chose to kill David Short at the cemetery was August 10th, but when David Short failed to show up at the cemetery, Dale Cregan and his associates ended up going to David Short's home. They chased him through his house, firing at least nine bullets, and then back outside where he fell, it was not mentioned whether or not he died from the bullets or not that they shot at him, but they ended up throwing a hand grenade on his body, so he did not make it out of it, obviously. No one's really gonna make it out of a hand grenade being tossed at them. So it wasn't mentioned if he had died beforehand or if they just threw the grenade to destroy evidence of them being there, but that ended up being his signature mark was throwing a grenade at people. Wow. So after the murders of Mark and then David, the police began their manhunt because they knew who was involved. This also enraged Dale, which obviously they're not going to let someone that's one shooting people and then throwing grenades at them to run the streets free. But I also read other articles, and this is just hearsay, but one of the articles from someone that was interviewed that wasn't connected to either side said that the community wasn't mad that Dale Cregan killed these men because I guess they were bullies and they constantly caused issues because they were also in the drug trade industry. They used like muscle to like beat people up. And probably to get money and all those types yeah. of things. And people were just like, no, we're not mad about this. So he was actually looked at as a hero, but I only found that in a few articles. So I just figured we would mention that. So then after those things happened, and now he is 
basically being hidden and they're looking for him but they can't find him. Fast forward a month later on September 18th, 2012 at 10, 14 a.m. Dale made a bogus phone call. So obviously he wasn't calling as himself. He allegedly called 999, which is, I'm guessing, their 911. Police emergency. I had someone just threw a big concrete slab through me that window and ran off. They'll try and get up there as soon as, if there's a possibility, he's still knocking about. All right then, thanks very much. Okay. I'll right. wait, uh, I'll be waiting. So the operator assured the person calling that there would be people dispatched out to the location. He replied, I'll be waiting. He appeared calm and composed and control of himself and his emotions. He said that two officers set out that way in a marked VW transporter van, which they usually drive vans over in foreign countries as their police cars, not like smaller cars or SUVs, just to mention that. So Nicola Hughes was driving the van and she was assisted by Fiona Bone and in most foreign countries they don't actually carry guns. I don't know if many people know that but they just don't. I don't know exactly which countries do that and which don't but at the time the only weapon they had was a taser so they were both unarmed because a taser is not going to do very much. And most countries in Europe, it's illegal to carry firearms anyways. Oh, so wow. they, they expect that when they go into these situations that they're not going to be encountering, encountering those things. Exactly. Cregan's holding a Glock firearm that he allegedly used to kill David Short and his son Mark nearly four months earlier had a clear view of both officers entering the cul-de-sac around 10.52 a.m. Cregan carefully laid out a plan and had been successful when he lured the two unarmed officers to his door and he was armed ready waiting for them. As Nicola and Fiona walked through the small front garden, he opened the front door and immediately fired his Glock. Both officers were shot in the chest, but their body armor that they were wearing protected them from the bullets not penetrating their skin. The officers made a tactical retreat. Fiona was moving to the right out of the line of fire and Nicola ran up the path. As she retreated, more shots were fired. Police Constable Nicola Hughes was shot just below her armored vest in the middle of her back and she immediately was paralyzed, causing her to fall forward onto the path. As she was falling or lying flat on her stomach, she was shot three more times. He went on and turned his attention to Police Constable Fiona Bone. She was trapped in front of the lounge and he discharged 24 shots at her. Some struck Fiona, others struck the house. She managed to draw and fire her taser but it discharged into a hard surface, probably the pavement. So this entire event happened within 31 seconds. All the gunshots, them running, trying to escape, firing the taser, 31 seconds. Most of the bullets struck their body armors or the walls or the front of the house. So Fiona was shot between five and eight times, receiving a total of eight gunshot-related injuries. She was killed by a perforating shot to the upper side of her chest. And Cregan was not finished. He allegedly turned back to Hughes, who was laying paralyzed on the ground, and shot her six more times in the back and the side of her head. Four of the shots caused potentially fatal wounds. In total, Cregan said that he fired 32 bullets, emptying and extending the other magazine cartridge. Finally, just before speeding away from the cul-de-sac and the BMW, Cregan launched a fragmented grenade towards the garden where both officers were laying. The court heard where the officers were laying, he told the court. And this is his, again, I told you that was his trademark, his usual colon card, which okay. caused further injuries to Nicola Hughes, but it did not contribute to her death. So she didn't die. After all of that, she did not die there. Oh my Only God. Only Fiona Bone did. Yeah. That poor woman. So, wait for it. 
After he did all of this to both officers, then he called his girlfriend and they had a, a conversation and then he turned himself in. He went to the police station, told the front desk lady, I was wanted by the police and I've just done in two coppers. He was calm and casual when the officers arrested him. He was actually still on the phone with his girlfriend as he was getting arrested. He dropped the gun at the scene and he said to the officers, I murdered two police officers. You were hounding my family, so I took it out on yours because they had the manhunt going on for him. Wow. Yeah. So a little bit of background information. So at the time of these murders, Fiona Bone was 32 years old and Nicola Hughes was 23. And like I said before, Fiona died on the scene and Nicola passed away at the hospital. And Dale claims when he was in court that if he would have known that they were female, he wouldn't have killed them. But investigators that did the reporting and investigation work of that said that they, he would have had plenty of time to realize who they were. Yeah, like how do you not realize they're two women? Yeah, they. he was just like a sitting duck waiting for them. So he saw everything. He saw them pull in. He, he knew. Nicola Hughes' mother described her daughter as beautiful, loving, thoughtful, caring, and hardworking, who had been at her happiest prior to her death. In a victim impact statement, Sue Hughes said, Cregan chose on that day to murder our daughter and leave our lives completely devastated, a life barely worth living without her. Now that the trial has concluded, he will return to his cell to live the rest of his natural life. We, however, will live with what he did every single hour of every single day for the rest of our lives. Her father, Bryn, said his daughter was brutally and callously murdered in the most despicable and cowardly way. Nicola grew up in Diggle, a village near Oldham, and after leaving Saddleworth School, she went to Huddersfield University where she began studying for a criminology degree. She dropped out to join Greater Manchester Police in 2009. Nicola was 5'6", known to be a chatterbox, a green belt in karate, was described as having the body of a lion cub and the heart of a lion. She was once thrown over a fence by colleagues so that she could continue chasing a suspect. On another occasion, she climbed through a dog flap in hot pursuit. So that just kind of shows how, like, she was small, but she still, like, had a lot of fight in her. Yeah, for sure. And then Fiona Bone joined the police in 2007 after volunteering as a special constable while working for an insurance firm. She lived with her partner, Claire, in Sale and was planning her civil partnership wedding when she was murdered. She graduated from University of Central Lancashire in Preston in 2002 after reading AV Media and Film Studies. Her father, Paul, said of her when she was put into an office, she hated it. She wanted to go where the action was. He clearly, you know, spoke about her in a high regard regard as well, saying, you know, she was in it and had fight in her as well. Yeah, they weren't two women that wanted to be behind a desk. They were they wanted to go out there. They wanted to make a difference and get their jobs done. So his trial began on February 4th because obviously there was no more manhunt. He turned himself in. So on February 4th, 2013, during his initial phase, he was detained at the Manchester prison. His trial finally began under heavy security at the Preston Crown Court. Helicopters, cars, and bikes accompanied the escort of him to and from the prison. Police snipers were set up nearby in many buildings. This was one of the most high-profile, expensive trials that the country had seen in a very long time. It's estimated that over five million pounds were spent 
in preventing any untoward incidents during this trial. So they wanted to make sure that they got this done, all the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted. During his trial, Deal said he had become conscious of his appearance and he asked the prison staff to make sure that he seemed more presentable. He requested them to shave his beard and to cut his long hair. He took long baths and wore new clothes to his trial hearings. Wow. Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. I've never so heard weird. of that even being allowed. Usually you have like the same outfit you appear every day in. Mm-hmm. Or people will bring you an outfit, but they don't give him like a spa day at the prison. Yeah, really. Dale underwent two checks every day. These checks were mostly focused on, and I don't even know if this is true, so I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it. He underwent two checks mostly focused on his missing left eye. I don't know why, but that was mentioned in a few articles. The police were suspicious and thought there was something not right about it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like he was like hiding something in, in his, his eye socket. Like yes. what? I don't know. I just figured I would mention it because <laughs> it's a little funny, but it's also like ridiculous. Oh yeah. I read that and I literally laughed out loud. I was like, that's why they were checking on him, not because he's a high profile criminal. Okay, when I say high profile, he wasn't even that high profile. He was like a small time gang mm-hmm. banger. So it's not like he was out here. He wasn't Al Capone or, yeah, you know, El, El Chapo. Like, he's not like that. Like, he was a very small time. He was just very lucky. He made a lot of easy money. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So the trial concluded eventually, and Dale was convicted of all four murders and three physical assaults. So I'm guessing that was the three men that got away at the pub. Yeah. The gruesome nature of the murders that he committed had the court sending him to a life imprisonment with a whole life order, which meant that he was not spending any, there was no chance of parole. He was spending his whole life there behind bars. The final hearing took place on June 13, 2013. Just a few months after he was in prison, Dale embarked on his hunger strike and this led to serious health issues and the police had to transfer him to the Ashworth Hospital in September 2013. And according to the True Crime England website, and I read it in a few other articles. I know I keep saying that, but there is just so much covering this, probably because it was so high-profiled in Manchester. Yeah. That he was transferred back to the Manchester prison in 2018. So that's what I... I he spent five years there, is what I'm, I, I'm understanding from the mm-hmm. articles I read, which that's a long time. To be in the hospital. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if that was because it was more convenient for him to be there. He Maybe he was treated a little better versus being in a prison cell. I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I just I just thought that was weird, but that was the date that was coming up. He went in September 2013, came out, and was transferred back to the prison to Manchester in 2018. I thought that was weird, but that's what I found. Other facts that we found on Mr. Dale Cregan. He had a knife fetish, which we mentioned briefly in the beginning where he was like collecting knives and things like that. Mm-hmm. But he had obviously underwent therapy, probably still is going through therapy. And the therapist told him straight up, like whatever you end up doing, cause you know how they do different hobbies in yeah. prison, him and knives don't mix. So like he's not allowed to be anywhere near the kitchen. Like he has to do things that don't involve anything sharp because he just loves them so much. And I don't know if that's because he likes to mutilate himself or if he just can't control himself and has to hurt other people. Super strange. And also that's interesting about Dale's case is that he used grenades and that was the first time in England that that was used to kill civilians by another civilian. Obviously during wars and things like that, grenades do go off and people and innocent civilians are hurt, but in 
England, that was the first time those were used. So police had been warned that there could still be more hand grenades on the streets of Manchester, and 10 of the devices, like the ones Dale used, were discovered stashed in a storm drain in Oldham during the trial. So I don't know if maybe someone brought forth that information or not, but they found those. Or and maybe he slipped up, like, bragging. Yeah, because he was very full of himself, so maybe he said too much. I'm not sure how that came about. And senior officers said that they were confident that the remainder of Cregan's M75 grenades from the former Yugoslavia had been recovered following the find earlier the month that they were found, but it was, was impossible to rule out others being in the hands of other criminals in the underground world. It's believed that the grenades were used by the Serbian forces during the country's civil war so those were older grenades and yeah i was gonna say wow that would have been really old then yeah that they were really old but like i said he would travel to amsterdam quite often and that's where like people in the underground weapon world go and trade and purchase different things but like i said he goes all over the world he could have gotten them anywhere he's lucky he didn't blow up yeah you know using messing with old weapons is dangerous very much so but i feel like he was so radical that he probably did not care if he would have died yeah yeah if you're wondering how that manhunt was avoided for a few weeks i have something that i found and it kind of bothers me actually so according to the article in the manchester evening news a woman by the name of katherine smith was a police handler which is equivalent to the u.s dispatcher she had information about the officers working and leading dale's manhunt she knew when and where the officers were in real time and where they would be going next she constantly would look up the information on the manhunt and she wasn't permitted or authorized to do so she was dating cregan's childhood friend so she would tell him this and that information always got back to Dale. And she claims that she had no idea this information was going to Dale, which, one... Where else would it be going? Exactly. That's where my mind went. So she was cleared on all her criminal charges. Oh, my gosh. Yes. During this case, and it was dismissed because the jury found her not guilty because she claimed she didn't know that her boyfriend was going to relay the information to anyone. But you were looking it up. Yeah. So to me, that seems extremely premeditated. Yeah. But she, the only repercussions she got was being removed from the police dispatch position. Wow. So I don't think she's in any kind of authoritative position or any position anymore where she can gain information because one, she's not reliable and she's not honest and she shouldn't be doing that. No, definitely not. And also the reason they found her not guilty was because the jury felt that because she was dating someone... That wasn't the, like, it wasn't her fault that she was telling him these things and then he told people. But one, you're in a position where you have access to private information that the public doesn't have. And you're telling someone that one is not in the field to be able to have that information. Like, I know that sounds super wordy, but it's, like, if you think about it a little bit, it's like, you tell information that no one else is supposed to have to someone that you're dating. Yeah, so what if you're dating them? An FBI agent's not going to tell his significant other about his anything. Well, even in the army, there's times you have to go places that you're not allowed to tell anyone. They have a wife or a husband or kids or a mom and dad. They're not allowed to tell them, so what gives you the right? you're, You're on a lower scale, but like still, like she had... She probably... If it's anything like the dispatchers, I'm sure, in the United States, you have to, like, sign oaths and you have to, like, promise that you're not going to screw up. Yeah. Like, they go through extensive training in the United States, so I'm sure they would have to do that there, too. 
but maybe not. I just, I thought that was interesting and that was part of the reason he abetted police for so long. And then I want to get to the other thing that I found quite interesting and that is why he is named the one-eyed serial killer. So he lost his eye, according to him, in a fight in a bar in Thailand and the police hit him so hard and knocked it out of the eye socket and it couldn't be saved. But then the other story was that he got loud in a bar and disrespectful and the bar owner, who was also a drug dealer slash business owner, which he preferred to be called a business owner. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so <laughs> funny. But this other drug dealer, the businessman, he did not think that they were the same. So basically Dale was like, yeah, man, like me and you are the same. And then the businessman said, we are not the same. But they ended up like kind of hashing it and the businessman invited Dale to a party not far from the bar, so Dale was like, yeah, man, let's go party. Well, apparently, this businessman had some other men waiting outside, and he had them carve Dale's eye out, and he, because this man also had one eye, and he said, now we're the same. Now you have one eye, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But that is not the story that Dale tells people. That is what other people, like through the rumor mill, have said. But there is a drug dealer in Thailand that also only has one eye. So, wow. I'm thinking, put your tinfoil hat on. Maybe, maybe he wanted him to be the same. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know for sure. No one knows the story. No one knows the truth behind what happened. But any anyone that knew him said he went to Thailand on vacation. He came back with one eye. What a story. What a story. And I'm going to be honest, I feel like Thailand's not the place to lose your eye. Like, I just... No. I don't foresee them having very good medical care, but he was also very, like, lavish, so maybe he had enough money that he found a good guy to, like, you know, save him from dying of any kind of infection after his eye was removed. Yeah. I mean, he had to have, because he obviously didn't die from losing his eye, and I, that's a pretty big opening. Well, and that's the thing. That's what's so, like, crazy about this case. Everyone hyper-focuses on his eye, but he was so proud of it. He even had a fake eye that was, like, onyx, which is black. Like, it's all the way black, and he would put it in place of his eye. So he had, like, one normal seeing eye, and then he had a fake black eye. Wow. And it would scare people, and they were so intimidated by him. That one like physical feature made sure that people knew exactly who he was mm -hmm. and so when he was on this manhunt and he would go out in public people wouldn't turn him in because one they were scared of him two they didn't really like the short family so they were like well whatever and then three you have this man that's like looking at you with one eye like don't mess with him <laughs> yeah no that's i could totally imagine it being creepy if you're just walking and then you see this man with the one black eye thing going on here. Yeah, it's scary. But he had other like eyes as well. He would use it from different reports I read. He had some normal ones. So like yeah. maybe it was a, an occasion where he was, yeah, I'm gonna go gangbang tonight. Let me put my black <laughs> eye in. And then he's like going out on a date with his significant other. He's let me put in my turquoise eye. Yeah, really. <laughs> like I don't know what his theory was behind it. I just. I just wanted to cover it because if you look up this case, everyone talks about how he's the one-eyed serial killer, which, yes, in this case, we covered him killing four different people. There were other stories saying that he was very aggressive and he would hurt people and kill other people, which it comes with the territory, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I, I'm not well-versed in gangbanging, but... I would assume so. Yeah. You also, you know, just because we hear the word serial killer, I would say people envision... assume it's some creepy guy killing and different girls or eating you. <laughs> 
or doing something yeah. crazy. No, this man, he was just a killer. He was, and he got them all out or all the ones known about out in the same year. He was like, I'm going to get everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. I want, I'm getting them this year. But there's speculation that there's a lot more people that maybe he had killed because he, he did give zero cares. He was just like, nope, I don't like you. I'm going to take care of you. Goodbye. The technical definition of a serial killer is, I think, killing more than three people, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that can be considered serial killers that we don't call serial killers. Exactly. So that is all I have for you today. If you like this case, let us know. Give us some feedback. As always, follow us on Crime Connections Pod on Instagram and Crime Connections on Facebook. And leave us a review. And if you like us. Yeah, only if you like us. If you don't like us, don't leave the review. Just keep moving. Keep on. Keep on moving. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you.